0: If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors, give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders it's also a great way to give back it's free to get involved and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or just google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up Welcome to another Leadership Conversations podcast episode. I am so excited for today's guest. I have Joe Bremgartner, uh, who is the Associate Superintendent of People Services at Fontana Unified School District. Uh, Joe's a career educational leader, a people and culture executive, and he began his career as an elementary teacher. And that's where he learned that as human beings, we're always in a state of evolving. We learn new skills every day and should always seek to apply our new knowledge. Uh, Joe then became an elementary school principal, later a central office executive and throughout his career, he's always focused on the people side of the organization, which I can't wait to chat about with him because I'm equally passionate about that. And he knows that it's important to nurture the people around us, which I also am really passionate about. So this is going to be fun. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) It's so good to have you on. And uh, just just to get straight into it, I would love, and I know uh, listeners would love as well, to hear some of the Joe Bremgartner story. How did you, you know, as far back as you want, and as much, as much or as little in terms of the, uh, the life story, but uh, as I was saying to you, before we, you know, before we started recording, that leaders are human beings, first and foremost, and that's why I love starting with the story of people like yourself doing, doing uh, important things, particularly in education. So, yeah, tell us, uh, tell us a bit of uh, the Joe Bremgartner story.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. This is an exciting opportunity to just chat and share a little bit. Um, I guess I would go back to when I began work because that type of experience is kind of what along the way uh, my work life has shaped my leadership uh, capacity and my skill set. So I started working when I was 14 years old um, at a hospital. And uh, that obviously is not education related, but I worked in, in a, a small community hospital. I worked in the medical records department. I worked in the emergency room. I worked in uh, data processing. I By the time I left, I had been the data processing supervisor for the, the hospital that I was at. Um, wow. And uh, I worked there for 14 years. So I worked there from the time, well, actually 13 years, from the time I was 14 until the time I was 27. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that was that that actually was very um, a formative time for me. My my parents were not particularly um, education focused for them. It was important that, you know, you grow up, you get a job, you go out, you earn a living and and move on with things. But being in that hospital environment, I was surrounded by professionals of all different sorts, whether it was on the business side of running the hospital or on the emergency or nursing side or medical side of the facility. And so for me, I think being surrounded by all of those people who had careers, um, for me, that was kind of eye-opening. <clears throat> that wasn't part of the story that I thought uh, would, be how my life played out. My parents, like I said, that wasn't important to them, and so mm. um, I did that. And while I was working at the hospital, I went to college, and ultimately I decided to become a teacher. And so, um, during the time while I was working at the hospital, I, I got my teaching degree, and then I was hired uh, to become a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and again, it was a great opportunity. Um, I worked with young students uh, I, anywhere from second grade through sixth grade, uh, but the bulk of my time in elementary, I taught in what was called a multi-age classroom, and so I had fourth, fifth, and sixth graders all together in the same room, and <laughs> I team taught with two other teachers, and it was just an amazing experience. We um, because of the age ranges, we had to develop our own curriculum from the ground up. We had to think about what was going to engage our students and, and make learning interesting and, and thought-provoking for them. And so that was just a great way of learning to really uh, understand the perspectives of kids and, and try to figure out what was going to motivate them to learn. And, and then taking that knowledge and applying it to how are we going to introduce curriculum and, and materials so that they would be learning. Um, I, in that same building while I was teaching, I did my internship and um, after I went back to school again, and I did my internship and got my administrative credential and was hired the, the following year in uh, a, another, a neighboring school district as an elementary principal. And uh, again, it was an interesting opportunity for me because I was following a veteran administrator. He had been in the building for 24 or 25 years. He had virtually hired every staff member on, the, on that <laughs> site. and coming in as a young administrator, I was the young, not only the youngest member on site, but I was, uh, you know, a brand new leader. <laughs> and so um, that was a little humbling because <laughs> there was so much, uh, there was so much knowledge that already existed there, and there had been this pathway kind of set forward by the leader that had been there before. Everyone was used to him; he was beloved, and mm. uh, the the community he was he was very respected in the community. And so, following him, those are pretty big footsteps to follow in. And uh, along the way, the thing that I figured out was, you know, how it's important to listen to people. Uh, As a leader, I think it's important that we listen as much as we speak. And so uh, listening and trying to understand kind of the perspectives of a staff that were a little fearful about the fact that they were getting a new administrator. They weren't They uh, weren't entirely sure that they wanted a new administrator. They thought they could run the building on their own without a principal in in charge uh, because there was just so much anxiety about having their leader leaving and someone else coming on board. But, you know, we we bonded pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I worked with them along the way to build trust and respect, and, and I tried to honor their needs and what they felt were the kind of non-negotiable important parts about what happened in that building. But, um, but they also, as they gained trust with me, they were willing to follow me and we moved the building forward. We, you know, Mm. we, we took things to the next level. Um, you know, kids definitely benefited from that time that we were all together there. Um, so I was in that building for seven years, and then was asked by the superintendent of that district. It was a small district, but uh, the assistant superintendent had retired. And so he asked me if I would be willing to come to the central office as the assistant superintendent. And again, uh, great experience. I was working with colleagues, but now I was supervising people that again, had all been there prior to me coming. <laughs> I was supervising the other administrators who I saw as mentors when I I came on board, um, and and again, I think that there was some anxiety around that. I was this person that they knew, but they didn't really know what my leadership style would be when I was their supervisor. So, listening to them, working with them, and trying to support them in their endeavors, I think was important. Um, from there, I took a little bit of a detour in my career, in that I was moving uh, to a, a local community, a different community. And when I made that move, I was looking for positions available in that, in that area. And yeah. the only administrative position available that year in the entire region that I was moving to was an elementary principal. So I went back to being an elementary principal. Hmm. And um, it was a great kind of life-changing moment for me because not only was I learning a new community, but I was kind of stepping back in my career and I felt a little strange. Um, but at the same time, it was a great way to reintroduce myself to a community and to, um, to go into a building that had some challenges. Um, this was a site that had challenges with the previous administrator. Mm. Uh, they had gone to mediation a couple times with their medi- with their administrator. Um, and you know honestly, she was, I think, a very good person, just not the right personality match for that site. Mm. And so uh, the year before I got there, half of the staff had left and had been re- had been replaced um, because they just couldn't work together as a team anymore. And so one of the, the things that became my focus on that side site was, how do I kind of reunite the staff or bring a staff together? Half of the staff had been there for 20 years. The other half of the staff had been there less than a year. And so how do I, <laughs> how do I unite this staff? And at the same time, it was a building that had a uh, pretty significant special needs population. Wow. And So there were a lot of challenges on the site. And besides the special needs population and the staff that had been fractured, um, there was a very affluent portion of the community and there was a very impoverished portion of this community and very few people in between. So again, um, it, it felt like this would be a giant challenge. And what I actually found was the reason why things worked on that site is that everybody believed from the parents to the staff, that all of those kids belong together. And that mm. no matter what the challenges were, whether it was the special needs challenges or, or poverty or uh, other issues, um, that, that they all could prop each other up and they were better together. And, uh, you know, that was a great opportunity to just learn how to watch people understand their unique perspectives and try to understand where, Um, where emotion or anxiety, or even just student behaviors were coming from based on uh, their, their history and, and their uh, own perspectives of what was happening. So uh, again, after that, I was um, asked to come to the central office again in that same district, and then uh, later was invited to a neighboring district. Who was having challenges in their uh, human resources department, and asked me to come in as kind of a, a person who had proven himself as kind of a uniter, uh, and and someone that could try to build labor relations, and um, you know, and help the staff to reconnect to the work of hand. So. So that was uh, my my previous experience prior to my current job and my current role uh, when I moved to California I uh, was looking for a position here and I was hired in Fontana a large district and uh, again uh, another set of new perspectives it was <laughs> a, a new community a larger district than I had worked in in the past um, but you know again I think that, listening to others and trying to understand perspectives helps us to to formulate the conversation so that brings me to where i am now
0: yeah that's fantastic thank you for sharing that and i I, there's so much uh you know there's sort of 20 questions i could ask about all those i i just love how you just uh told that quite succinctly about the different um the different seasons I, i think uh the question that probably comes to the top of my mind is about transition so you've done a few uh you've, you've had a few transition roles where you've come in and transitioned from someone who was much loved and had and, and everyone would have you know that brings its own challenges when you're coming in and then you've come in and, and been part of a transition where the previous person had uh, it had been really difficult and so half the people have left so say someone listening is a leader and they are coming into a new role what what did you learn? What have you learned so far from the various different times that you've been transitioning into roles? What would be your advice to someone who's stepping into a new role, whether they're coming in uh, and taking the place of someone much loved or coming into a messy situation? What have you learned?
1: Sure. Well, I think that it's first really important to get a sense for the needs of the role that you're coming into, and hmm. that is coming into a role where you are. Um, uh, where, where like there's an issue with staff or a brokenness or whether it is coming into a role where things are perceived as being good. Um, uh, you know, whether that they're perceived as being good or just maybe things are fine. I, I think it's important always to have a perspective, try to gain a perspective. Number one on what the staff perceives are their strengths and um, things that are kind of their non-negotiables. This is what we think work really well here, and these are the things we're proud of. And then also looking at what did they see as their challenges. Sometimes, spot mm. on. They know. They know what the challenges are. They're just not sure how to navigate out of them. Um, and other times they're not. And and in those situations, I think we always work to find the best that we can. Um, what what their needs are um, and once you have that kind of information gathering moment then I think then it makes it much easier to plan for how you're going to move things forward or how you're going to address the um, successes or you know to keep things on track or challenges on how to um, right the ship in times of, of challenge so um, I, I think that's very important to try to understand the staff's perspective as well as maybe even talking to other management to say what how is this department or how is this organization perceived and um, see if there's an alignment there sometimes the perceptions of different people are different, and that that causes uh, some hurdles to navigate through
0: mm. now' that's, that's really good insight how Uh, This might sound like a silly question, but how do you actually facilitate that information gathering? And, you know, for you, practically in your first couple of months in a new role, what are some things that you you do or that you've done that -hmm. have worked well to get a pulse for what people actually think?
1: (laughs) Well... Yeah, I think that's really important. It, what you just said is to get a pulse. And I think that that starts with talking to my own supervisor to say, you know, I'm you're hiring me to come into this role. What, what are your objectives for me? What do you need me to do? What is the perception of the department or the organization? Um, what challenges do you see and how is there a way that you would like me to address those? Or do you want me to kind of gather information and come back and talk with you? So I, mm. I would start the supervisor, but then I would go uh, individually and talk to staff members. I, I sit down with people face to face one-on-one and say, Hey, how are things going? What do you, what do you think is going really well? What are our challenges? You know, what are you, what are you hoping that I can do for you here? And um, just having a very normal, natural conversation like we're having today and just kind of listening carefully for little cues that people may be giving me as to what their feelings really are. Knowing that they can be reluctant, you know, especially if they're unsure about their new boss, so to speak, they may um, be a little guarded, um, so I think that it's important to to try to make them feel as comfortable as possible, so that they can kind of let their guard down a bit and share truly where they're coming from
0: yeah i i uh, I really love that one of the things that I really respected when I was in a previous role. we had someone new come on board, and she actually sought out uh, everyone who she would be interacting with it's not just direct you know not the not the obvious people but those who would be part of the wider team that she would be working in. And she made time to sit down with each one of us and really, just uh, say, "Tell me about you. Tell me about what you do. I'm really interested." And I felt really heard about uh, what I, you know, the part that I was leading, chatting with her. And I thought, "This is such a clever. It's such a simple but clever, uh, clever idea." There was, there was just, uh, I just came across a book called "The Power of Focus" that, and it has this story in it which I, uh, I don't know if it's a true story or a fable. I think it's true, but I just don't want to go on record saying it's true, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I, it, it seems like, it reads like they're telling a true story of a um, of a lady who uh, came into a health situation where she knew she needed a kidney transplant. She went to her family, none of them, some of them were very happy to do it, but there was not a blood, a blood type match. And so, in desperation with um, not you know knowing that time was sort of running out, she went and basically started asking. She put it up on a notice board and, like, it, it sounds so ridiculous. That's why I'm, I wondered if it was a fable. Uh, but uh, they talked about her actually – someone ended up coming along and saying, you know what, I, I, I'm okay with only having one kidney. I'll give you my kidney if it's going to help save your life. And uh, the point of the story – uh, was, and they used her name in there in the book, it's called The Power of Focus, was that w- we, we often underestimate asking. And uh, that's an extreme example of, of you wouldn't even think to ask people outside of your family, but she did. And someone actually said, you know what? Yeah, if it's going to save your life, I may not know you, but that's, I don't need two kidneys. I'll be happy to have one. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, then, and then they talk about this principle of asking. And that's something that I think you've really articulated is that ask your the, your supervisor, your leader? Uh, you know, what do you want from me? You know, help me understand, and then go and ask the people that you're working with. I, I think um, I think asking uh, and listening. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's honestly sort of uh, such a key when you when you're transitioning into a new role.
1: Right, and I think it's more than just. Asking or having a set of questions to ask, I think it is letting the conversation be a pretty natural conversation, so that people can feel comforted in that you truly are listening. When you talked about your previous supervisor, you said that mm. you know it asked and and you felt heard well, I think mm. that, and it and I think people feel heard when people genuinely listen. So I wouldn't go into that situation with any preconceived ideas. I, I really do believe that it's important to listen to what they're saying because there's, they have history. They have history with the organization. They have personal history and biases and, and all of those things. And it, it gives you a much clearer picture on how to interact and how to navigate change. Because ultimately, as leaders, we're going to navigate change at some point. And I mean, the last couple of years have proven that to <laughs> all. But uh, I, I think that you can navigate change easier when you understand the people that you're working with and the people that you're leading, and you understand their fears and their, um, their desires about what they want to do. And Uh, And I think that that, if you just have those conversations and genuinely listen, uh, it makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And that's a a natural segue to talk about. I think listening is, for me, it's top five leadership uh, skills to be, you know, for great leadership. And that's because I tend to really believe uh, for leaders to be what we were chatting about before we, before we started recording, around this idea of leading with compassion. Uh, but I want to ask you about leading with compassion because the pushback that I get or that I've seen is this: oh, I don't want to a sort of a hesitancy to uh, to lose control, to not be able to hold people accountable if I'm if I'm too compassionate. You know, sometimes I just. People just need a bit of a, you know, uh, to be sort of driven to to get the best results. So I'm interested to know, particularly with your role now, you know, in uh, in the people side and HR of uh, as an assistant superintendent in in that in that space. How do you see compassionate leadership as still being able to drive a high performance, or, or what what would be your thoughts on that topic?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I think that first of all, there's this, a distinction between leading and controlling. And mm-hmm. when people are afraid of losing control, I think that they may be on the wrong track for leadership. Um, when you're leading people and you're facilitating the work of the organization, I think that um, leaders are people are, are people that others follow or that set an example for others um, controlling people typically just doesn't work very well you know if your mindset is of i have to control the situation i have to control everything around the environment uh, those are typically leaders who find themselves in an environment that they can't control because quite frankly you know it's going to be met with resistance at some point mm-hmm. uh, the last you know as as we faced a uh, global pandemic, uh, my staff was amazing, and they, they were fearful. Uh, we were all in our office one day, and the next day we were gone, and we mm-hmm. had to, start to being completely remote, and even though they had the tools to do that, they were reluctant in the past to utilize some of the technology that we had available to us. But we geared up really quick. They they were huge troopers. Uh, I couldn't be prouder of the group of people I work with for what they did because we didn't miss a beat. And we had um, lots of discussion and conversations around how are we going to do things differently? How do we conduct job interviews? if we can't have people in person? How do we how do we onboard new employees? How do we make sure that we have, staff available how you know what do all these things look like not to mention you know of course school districts are highly unionized environments and so we had three unions to deal with and in working through challenges with them to to sort through what does this kind of new normal look like and you know, I, I won't say that there weren't bumps along the way, but there were certainly um, opportunities for good conversations that helped us to center ourselves and and find uh, find that path on what we were going to do and how we were going to navigate. So I, I think that um, when people are worried about losing control, I think the focus may be I think the focus needs to be on how are you a leader that people will follow mm-hmm. and how, how can you gain the respect of people to, to do it. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'm sure quite positively that there are some of my staff members that thought I was crazy and say, like, okay, we can do this. We can do it this way and I think we can do this and we can do that. And in the middle of all of this with the pandemic, we took on a major focus of kind of re-gearing our entire operational side of our um, we our human resources department, um, talking about what it was that we did and, and what our focus was and who we served and, and what role the department should play. And it actually brought us not only to rethinking um, how we did our work, but also changing our our department uh, to people services from human resources, because we felt that people services really was a better descriptor of what we did yeah. uh, through a renovation of our department out of 20, uh, 26 people, 24 people moved physically moved locations within the department. By the time it was done, um, we used to have kind of two divisions between classified staff and, and, and certificated staff, and and uh, that got taken apart, and <laughs> staff got relocated <laughs> to different places. We brought on two new uh, executive leaders that are focused around leadership development. Uh, it was a complete redo, and we did this in the throes of the pandemic. At the same time, we were trying to figure out how to redo our job, because it was <laughs> an opportunity, because we were already rethinking things. Let's rethink it and make it a real a real change so um but they did it and i think they did it because i was i'm pretty passionate about it and they worked hard to even when they were worried um about the changes they worked hard to kind of say okay you say we can do this okay we can do this i know we can do it and and you know and i gave them a lot of grace and saying you know if there's a problem we'll fix it don't worry it's okay if we mm. try things and it doesn't work, the worst thing we could do would be to keep doing it wrong. So let's, if something doesn't work, let's talk about it, let's fix it, and we'll recalibrate and move forward. And and I think having that um, that kind of out, so to speak, uh, so that they didn't have to feel the pressure that if they made a mistake, the whole thing was going to fall apart. Um, that I think that helped. Mm.
0: I I think it's really profound how you started explaining that. Around the difference between leading and controlling. And if you're trying to control your thinking, you might be on the on the wrong track and, and you need to think more about leading. Uh, that's so profound. And I love the example of uh, you and your team through COVID. That's incredible. How say there's a leader listening and they go, Oh, wow, yeah, Joe's Joe's right. Uh, you know, if you're controlling, you're maybe on the wrong track, and they've just had a little epiphany that oh, maybe I've been trying to control rather than lead. How do you make that shift? You know, if someone out there has that self-reflection, what could they do or start doing or th- how could they think differently to move from controlling
1: to leading? Well, first of all, I would say that I'm sure there's people out there that would disagree with this, but, <laughs> but <laughs> my, own, my own personal take on that is you lead rather than control by um, number one, being open to being wrong, Um, Mm. understanding that as human beings, we all make errors, including those of us as leaders. Um, And for the same grace that we need to give our staff when they make a mistake, we would hope to get that same grace in return. Um, Mm. But I, I think that making this shift would happen by first finding ways to build trust because nobody is gonna follow a leader that they don't trust. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if, if they are, they're following out of fear. And that's, I mean, quite frankly, that's not the type of leader I'd wanna be. I wouldn't want people to follow, my, follow me because they're afraid of me. Uh, I would want them to follow me because they believe in me and they believe that I have the best interest of the organization or, or their best interests in mind. Um, In a school environment, I'm very clear with staff that we really have one group that we serve, and that's kids. And it doesn't matter whether we're in the classroom with kids or not. Our role is still there to support kids. So when we're talking about the people services side of an education organization, our job is to make sure that we're supporting, number one, we're putting the absolute best we can in front of staff. Are in front of students so that we're we're recruiting and finding high quality people. But the other thing is supporting not only our, our staff, but our leaders so that their focus can stay on kids. I, I, I tell our leaders within our district all the time, if you are worried about something, please pick up the phone and call our offices because we can help you with that. Let us take that burden off of you mm-hmm. so that focusing on what's important and that's kids and so my staff know that for me it's about kids no matter what we're doing we have to be making the situation better for our students and for the kids of our community so so i think again just kind of back to your point i think people follow leaders who they trust and who they respect and so if you're going to make that shift, you have to find a way to build trust and respect with your staff. Yeah. I
0: think you've, uh, I, I think you've really nailed it there. And and the other thing that I love that you've talked about is really purpose for you in a, in a school setting, it's about the kids. It's about serving kids. It's about investing in kids. And if you can keep your eye on that, then that's also going to help you, uh, I guess, lead people towards that for for a leader, how and and as you mentioned, sort of in the introduction, as you sort of told some of your story, building unity and building trust seems to be something that you've done well in in some you know in the different locations and different contexts you've you've led. How do you build trust really well? Say there's a leader listening who goes, "I'm mm-hmm. desperate to build trust, but I just don't know how to do that. How do I do that?"
1: Right. Well. It's not something you can command, so you can't force people to trust you. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes you build trust by acknowledging that. I mean, I've, I pretty regularly, if I'm new in a role and I'm meeting with staff, uh, one of the first things I say is, you know, I want you to know that I am starting with we're starting with a blank slate here, and I, I have no reason not to. Um, believe you or trust in you. And, you know, unless you violate that trust, I'm going to give you my trust. I, am going to trust you. That being said, I also understand that I need to earn your trust. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, if there's a time when you feel like you uh, like I've done something that, that's caused you to question whether or not you can trust me, I would hope you would come and talk to me about it because I really am open and I want to understand, I mean, again, we're all human beings. We make mistakes. And if I did something or said something that struck you wrong or made you feel as though I had violated your, um, you know, your trust or anything else, I, I think at that point, um, I would hope that we can have a conversation so that we can clear the air and move forward. And. So I do try to foster open conversation. I think that staff having the ability to come anytime, my door, I mean, I don't sit in my office with my door shut. If I'm in my office, my door is open Unless now, of course, now our our new reality is we're oftentimes in on online meetings. And so if I'm in a door, <laughs> door is shut, um, but otherwise I'm, my door's open and my staff knows that they can stop in anytime and I, and when they stop, I stop what I'm doing. I pull around my desk and I give them my full attention so that I can have a conversation with them. Um, it, and if I'm at doing something that I have to finish or I can't give them that full attention, I'll ask permission and say, you know, I'm going to listen to you, but I have to finish this email real quick. Are you okay if I'm typing while we begin this conversation? Or whatever it may be, so that they understand that my attention is with them, and that I want to truly hear what they have to say, or help them to solve a problem or resolve an issue. And uh, I think that um, there's a certain amount of of vulnerability you have to have as well to show people that you can make mistakes and ask for you know some assistance with that, or um, or just know that that it's a safe place to be and that it's safe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you said some really good things there. Uh, I, I'm interested to know because you are so uh, active in, uh, as you call it, people, you know, the people services and, and helping to find the right people. And, and I imagine being involved in, in managing people and then, um, you know, the the really difficult task that, uh, that leaders don't want to have to do, but can be, you know, depending on the situation, having to, to let people let people go, uh, starting with, I guess, when it comes to people, finding people, managing people, and, and then well, ultimately that's what you want to do. You want to find great people and you want to find a way to, to keep them on board and to lead them really well. What would be your advice on, uh, I guess, some of the biggest things you've learned from really focusing in on uh, on, on people hiring and keeping great people? What would be your, some of your keys to doing that?
1: Well, I think first you have to believe in what you're doing. Um, so I, I think people are purpose-driven. And I think that um, I, I know I'm much more engaged when I believe that what I'm doing is bigger than just coming to work every day. Uh, and I think others respond to that as well. I think that when we paint the picture for someone that their job is bigger than just coming in and, and doing tasks, um, that it makes a difference. And so you know, when I talk about me talking about our decisions are made with the best interest of kids in mind, my staff believe that too they understand that you know they might be hiring somebody and, and a piece of their job might be processing paperwork but a piece of their job is also how are you going to support that person how are you going to help them to be successful and um, how are we going to make sure that they are able to to do good things for kids and to, to um, uh, you know, to carry on their work while helping others to be better. And so I, I think a big piece of what we do is, is painting a picture about the purpose behind what we're doing so that people feel like they're part of something bigger. They're not just here to do a job. Um, and quite frankly, if that's their purpose, if their purpose is just to come into a job, that's not going to be our best employee. Mm-hmm. We want people whose purpose is something bigger that they feel more attached to the organization and the mission and the vision, um, and and that you know they understand the values of the organization and and as well as feel like they are part of what we do and that they're part and in. Success
0: of the organization. Yeah, absolutely, uh, amazing. Um, and when it comes to managing managing people, uh, I think one of the biggest things is clear expectations and doing that really well. Uh, I, I think one of my weaknesses can be definitely as a as a leader is I uh, can struggle to really get the detail. Uh, to a point I, I sort of can give up a bit early on the detail because I, I'm more naturally attracted to the higher level. So purpose every day of the week. But when it comes to really helping someone get really clear on what they're going to do in their role and on what success looks like for them and their job, I'm interested to know your thoughts on how do you how do, you do that really well as a leader? Make sure the people on your team know... Um, exactly what it looks like to to do their job and and to be successful doing what
1: they're doing well i think that especially for a new employee it's important for them to have mentorship um, by someone who is successful in the role i won't pretend that i am the expert at everything that goes on in my department i'm not i my role is to provide the vision and Help them to plan on how to move forward, but if it comes down to actually being the person processing, ire or doing some of those things, I—that's I, just not my um, where I'm at and in, in the organization, and so I would not be able to to come in and tell an employee, well, you know, to be really successful at your job, this is how you're going to process new hire paperwork, or this is what, how you're going to go about setting up interviews for employees. Now I'm more than happy to be part of that conversation when we're brainstorming about how do we move interviews from in-person to virtual? How are we gonna do these things and to have those conversations, but I'm not the expert in those areas. My staff are the experts and understanding that the The history there and the people that are there are integral to that role and the success of the department. I I'm not successful without them, and um, you know my my role with them is really around um, helping to guide them so that they can can do what they know how to do and to be able to. Um, be able to manage in a way that they are, uh, are successful in their own individual roles. And that might look different for different people. So, you know, success can look different and feel different. Uh, and, and so I think when, when we're looking at people and trying to figure out how we manage to help them and, and to help them have success, we have to first step back and figure out what does success for the organization look like? What does the big picture look like? But when it comes down to individual success for somebody that might just mean, especially if they're new at their job, they processed their first new hire paperwork and didn't have any errors and it just was very seamless. Um, And that's success at that moment. But success is is sensitive to time and place. So I I think that we have to, understand that as leaders we don't necessarily know everything about the people we're um we're trying to lead or about their jobs we're there to help them to be able to to do that uh the uh, one quick story i can share is mm. when i came on board in my current role <clears throat> there was um a person that worked in the in the office and she was a wonderful human being and she was uh, she was getting near retirement age. And she was definitely a leader within the department. She was uh, an assistant director. And so she oversaw a whole group of employees within the department. And, um, you know, and I, I sat down with her one day because staff was came to me saying, you know, one of the things we're really worried about is that she's planning to retire someday. And we're not going to know what to do when she's not here because she... <laughs> is the person who kind of holds us all together. And so I sat down with her one day and I said, you know, <clears throat> staff are really worried about this and how are, you know, I, I really would like you to think about this and I'm not trying to push you out the door because I hope you stay forever because you're an amazing human being and, and we're better because of you. But if you are thinking about retiring, I hope that you will do some work with staff so that they won't feel lost and they'll know what to do when you're not here. And she just looked at me and she shook her head. She goes, Joe, they know exactly what to do. They just don't think they know what to do, but they'll know exactly what to do. They're fine. She goes, I've been building capacity with these guys for years. They know. It's like, okay, I, I trust you. Um, and so <laughs> we, we had uh, a situation where she um, suddenly passed away and it was terrible. Mm. I mean, she was one of these people that meant so much to the organization especially to the department and um but you know in the blink of an eye she was gone and the staff was just like oh my gosh what are we going to do how are we going to do this and i said you know what i talked to her not long ago about this and her Mm -hmm. response is they know what to do and you know that she wouldn't have lied to me so i'm i'm very confident you know what to do and they picked up the pieces and they moved forward and they didn't miss the step and they did know what to do. Wow, she, she had built that capacity in them, even though they didn't realize it, they knew what to do. They had questions, but not one person held all that knowledge, but collectively they all did. And so by working together, they were able to move forward. And, and again, it was, you know, we still miss her terribly, but, but she did an amazing thing in preparing that staff to be ready
0: for a time mm. there. Wow, what a uh, what a legacy uh, she she left, and um, just such a so so profound that she she literally said to you, Joe, they they've got it, they know what to do. I've built their capacity, and uh, and then her legacy only proved that that they were able to, you know, to uh, to actually not miss a step in living up to. To her legacy after she'd sadly passed away. Wow. And
1: it's important for all leaders, really. If, if when we leave a role, I mean, hopefully not in that way, but if we just leave to move on to something else, if the organization suffers by our absence, then I don't think we did a very good job of leading. Mm. Because a part <laughs> of what we do when we lead is we build capacity in others. Um, if I were to leave my Department or my organization right now, there's a whole group of people who could step in and do what they needed to do, and uh, and and I would like to say that I wouldn't be missed, but but I do (laughs) believe that they could move the organization forward without me, and and that's how it should be. We never should be in a role where where we control all the moving parts so much so that not only that we that um that when we're not there it doesn't function anymore Uh, i think we do everybody a disservice when we don't build capacity in others and Mm. it's kind of self-serving when when as a leader you take on that role of being the the person who knows everything and controls all the moving pieces I think that only thing that's good about that is it makes you feel good about the job you're doing, but it doesn't really protect the organization or or create a legacy to leave behind of, of the capacity you built.
0: Yeah, well said, I completely agree. And uh, that's uh, that's a profound thought to uh, to land on today I guess as we as we wrap up, did you have any final? thoughts uh that come to mind for for those leaders who might be listening
1: no i i just think it's important to be authentic be authentic listen uh listen as much as you speak be willing to um put yourself back in a role where you can truly listen to people and try to understand their perspectives and where they're coming from um i think when we do that we become better ourselves and and better leaders uh you know, there's there's importance and power to the collective wisdom of the group you work with, and mm. understanding that and embracing that is, I think, how we lead um, in an authentic way that that is beneficial not only to ourselves but to our organization and to those that we serve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's been an absolute joy. Uh, having you on on the podcast Uh, joe i just think you've got so much wisdom around uh, compassionate leadership and and how to uh, bring unity and and team and so thank you so much for coming on
1: well thank you so much for the opportunity it's been great to have the chance to chat with you today
0: and uh, that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the leadership conversations podcast a big thank you to all of our listeners. really appreciate you. And uh, the heart of this podcast and the heart of Clarity is to invest in people to become everything you're meant to be. And uh, so I trust uh, – actually, no, I, I, I honestly just believe <laughs> that uh, today's conversation has been has been doing that. And I believe it's an investment in your leadership to listen to people like Joe. And I uh, just want to encourage you and thank you to those who already have. But if you haven't, if you could subscribe or follow wherever you're listening – It does uh, help us to keep you in the loop. And if this episode has been really helpful for you, then please consider sharing it with your network because we would love to be able to have some new listeners who come and listen because we would love to invest in some more leaders to become the very best they can be. Uh, So thank you again for listening and we'll catch you next time. or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community and there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again.